Hallo und willkommen bei der Outdoor Show in Friedrichshafen. You're listening to a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. Number 373. Hello and welcome back to this the first in a special three-part series produced directly after the 2014 Outdoor Show held in Friedrichshafen, Germany, July the 10th to the 13th. We've got a reasonable selection of interviews for you relating to new products, new brands, some advice and breaking news, which I'm sure will be of interest to many. If you need pictures or video to help you get a better insight, then please visit the outdoorstation.co.uk website for links, images and so on. Plus, of course, we have a video from the show on there, uh, which is also on YouTube, which will show you some of the highlights and take a closer look at some of the products mentioned within these podcasts. It was good to visit and get a bigger picture of the industry from a European perspective and see what trends were developing, as well as discussing with key players where the UK currently stands within this landscape. However, without further ado, let's get on with the show and delve into some interviews recorded just a few days ago in Friedrichshafen. The first interview of the show happened to be with the very familiar face of Tim Butcher, who regular listeners may remember I've spoken to on many occasions over the years when he's been wearing different corporate hats. This time I'm pleased to see he's taken the huge step of wearing his own hat by starting his own company, True Mountain. Now they're manufacturing in the UK a whole range of British-made, bright, functional and individual clothing products. So it's great to see someone flying the flag and if anyone can pull it off and make an impact in the UK marketplace, I'm sure it'll be Tim. Well, we're outdoor in Friedrichshafen and we're here to launch True Mountain, which is our new brand of clothing and potentially in the future other products. Um, where there's a strong emphasis on UK and European sourced materials, but all production in the United Kingdom. So we're looking to um, kind of rejuvenate garment manufacturing to a degree, you know, a little bit at a time, you know, by making things in the UK. Well, that's a very positive message at the moment with all the doom and gloom that has been being, uh, passed around the outdoor industry about overseas manufacture. How hard has it been to actually get up and running? It's been difficult. Um, if we had to finance the building of the brand and the building of a factory and everything that goes with it 100% ourselves, we wouldn't be here. We have got what you would describe as angel investments. Okay, okay. so uh, I presume that's a UK investment as well? It is a, a, a UK investment business who specialise in new startups, uh, particularly doing manufacturing. Excellent. Well, that's good news. Um, now, what about the staff and, and that sort of thing? Because you're, obviously you're based sort of slightly north uh, in the UK. I presume uh, the skill sets are still there. Are you still finding uh, able to employ young people wanting to get into manufacturing? Well, we're based in Preston, which is in the Ribble, Ribble Valley, where there's a lot of heritage of garment manufacturing. Um, and we're conscious that a lot of those skills are going to be lost, and we're tapping into them wherever we can. Um, but ultimately, we want to bring young people into manufacturing. So, you know, our manufacturing team, 50% of them are recent graduates from university. And that's, uh, and are they enjoying it? It must be difficult for them coming from university. <laughs> it's just sort of the real world, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, 
coming from sort of a, a straight out of education into the kind of the, co- the commercial realities of ma- of making things is quite a big quite a big jump for a lot of people. Um, but there's a definite uh, willingness um, amongst amongst young people to make things and be proud of what they make, and that's mm. an, an important part for us. Is that ultimately when someone makes a garment within our business, they will have to sign it, a bit like when someone makes a, a car at Bentley. They, um, you know, they sign, they sign off on it, and you, you'll be able to track through our website who made your product. That is a lovely touch. I like that, and I think it's great that we're flying the flag yeah. from that point of view. So uh, we've talked about the garments. Let's actually, um, in garment manufacturer, let's actually uh, look at so a couple of items in detail. What would you like to tell me about? I mean, I'll tell you a little about about the uh, the windproofs that we're doing. So some of us some of us in the business have worked for worked for other brands that have got a lot of heritage in making windproof jackets um, we've looked at it and said how could we perhaps take it forward a little bit more so we're using uh, stretch windproof fabric which is coming from a, a company in sweden and it's being treated with a hundred percent pfc free dwr which is another sort of step in the sort of environmental environmentally positive direction mm-hmm. um, that, that we're looking to take and so, and then we're then combining that with fabrics that we're buying from the UK, and again they're being treated with 100% PFC-free DWRs. And then in the construction, we're trying to use some British cues in the in the design. So things like the the waistband of the jackets, there's a, a kind of a hint at uh, perhaps the what people would call the Harrington style jacket you know within there but still keeping the technical performance level there so we're trying to give it some british signature styling cues but the technical performance is is 100% there okay um one thing that uh, some of our listeners have actually commented on and asked us to ask manufacturers uh, as we go around this particular show this year is the choice of colors uh, particularly the females sort of uh, slightly object sometimes to everything being pink if it's female um so two questions really first of all how do you decide on your colors and the second question is the production runs that you're doing presumably as they're custom made handmade and a a short run basis you're not actually committing yourself to a vast amount of stock in one particular color no as as a as a new startup one of one of the biggest costs that we have is is fabrics Um, it's it's quite easy um, from some of our suppliers a minimum run of uh, base layer fabric might be ten thousand euros so it's you know multiply that up across a number of garments and styles and yeah, you, yeah. you soon you can run yourself up a pretty big wheel pretty quickly mm. so actually what we do is we choose a main fabric so in some of the garments we've been looking at here a lot of our main fabrics are some tone of grey right. but we then marry that up with coloured zips and coloured side panels when we buy zips we buy 50 at a time so we can buy a wide variety of coloured zips when we buy our side panel fabric we can buy lots of colours from our manufacturer on our base layers we're mixing this um, merino polyester main fabric with a a stretch uh, wicking side fabric the side fabric is from the UK from a supplier in Nottingham we're able to buy relatively small quantities at a time and we can choose from 12 colours that are available all the time so So do you think this is going to be a sort of a USP on, on the side? I, th- I think there's there's a definite um, element that, unlike a lot of other brands that you'll see at this show, we can react to mm. colour trends very quickly, um, and we can we can offer a very very wide colour selection to our to our customers quite easily. The the first question of that pair, of course, was about the actual choice of colours themselves. Yeah, I mean, you've just 
you know, alluded that you know we can go and pay a lot of money for colour trend information if we if we want it. Uh, one of the interesting things for us, and I think what makes us potentially dangerous to a lot of the other brands here, is that the best place to see what the colour trend is for next year is this trade show, because it's it's being revealed through yes. lots and lots of brands. Yeah. Um, if we see the the emerging colour trend and we particular we particularly like it. We can bring it to market in about two to three weeks, mm. so we can actually we can get ahead of the curve with colours. I mean, it happens at the moment that there's a lot of sort of bright neons, sort of 80s retro feel about colour at the moment, and you know we reflect that in a lot of what we're doing at the moment. Mm. But if if colour trend was to change, you know, overnight, we could we could change we relatively change quickly it. as well. We're a very we're a small, lean, adaptable business. Uh, I dragged you away from your um, your, your uh, products there for a second. We were talking about colours. So, uh, any other items uh, you want to bring to us? Yeah, I think one of the uh, one of the, the kind of the interesting ones that not many not many other people are, are doing, and it will be the first product that we actually put on sale in a couple of weeks' time. Is we're taking the stretchy side fabric we use on the base layer, and we're making it into boxer shorts for men and women. So we've got a, a, te- a technical boxer short, close fitting, stretchy, very comfortable to wear. Uh, I'm told um, from some people that have been wearing them so far, there's a nice kind of lift and squeeze okay. effect that you get from them. So it's a it's a technical product, but we're inter- introducing a lot of colour to it. So it, right. it can it can be fun as well as as well as well as technical. And um, we've got five colours for men, five colours for women. But actually, when they're produced in the factory, the uh, the people who are making them will actually choose the second colour on the product at random. Okay. So there isn't there is no specified overall colour profile. Right. There's a main colour, and then whoever happens to be sewing it can choose whatever colour they like to be the contrast. Right. So there's an element of randomness <laughs> about the colour. But as it's underwear, yeah. who cares? Well, it's it? underwear and sleepwear, I suppose, <laughs> yeah. and also it reflects what sort of weekend they've had, I guess. <laughs> I guess it does, yeah. yeah. Uh, the thing about boxes, it's quite interesting. We've had uh, samples from all sorts of different manufacturers that have done boxes, and certainly I've never found a comfortable pair, so I should be looking forward to... Uh, the, uh, the the crown jewels being protected this time rather being crunched. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a lot of what's out there on the market tends not to be stretch no. for for base layer boxes. People take their you know see things like boxes as a way of just using up spare fabric, uh, and I think it's important to use 100% stretch fabric, and I think that that's going to make the difference with these. Fantastic. Now, are the are you going to sell direct or are you going through retailers? How are you how are you working the brand? We are predominantly selling through retailers. Um, we have um, some element, if you will, of direct sales. We'll be working with a company called Mountain Light Online, who will be sort of our preferred uh, on- online retailer. But you know, our our reason for coming to shows shows like this is to find retailers, you know, for the, for the brand. Excellent, Tim. Well, thanks very much indeed. I wish you all the best with the new brand. It's nice to start the uh, the show with the first interview with a British company uh, aspiring to keep manufacturing local. Absolutely, I and mean, you know, we're we're really proud that you know we've been been able to you know open a factory producing technical outdoor clothing, really from starting a hundred percent from scratch. You know, we started our business on the twenty seventh of March this year. We're at the show on the 9th of July, I think it is today, and you know, onwards and upwards from here. We wish you well. Thank you, Bob. Since 2005, over 5 million people have listened to the Outdoor Station audio podcasts and over 1 million have watched the videos. You can subscribe to the Outdoor Station in numerous ways. Visit the website and select the link to your chosen social media network. The UK's only award-winning audio and video podcast service for the great outdoors. Looking after your outdoor gear? 
clothing, shelters, general maintenance and emergency repairs are all tasks we will all face at some time or other during our outdoor lives. Certainly, while on a trip, a small amount of insurance in the form of some sealant or a repair patch might make the difference between pleasure or discomfort. One brand synonymous with repair and sealing of such seams and equipment is, of course, Magnet. Mark Gray is from the Technical Advice Department for Magnet Europe. Hello, uh, we're Magnet Europe. Uh, We're actually um, a subsidiary of the American firm Magnet USA. And we deal only in Europe with distributing 49 countries. Uh, primarily, we started off with scuba diving, then we moved into outdoor. Uh, we do military and uh, hunting and fishing, mainly repair kits and, and things like that. Okay. So, uh, has it always been the repair aspect of that, those industries you've been looking at? Yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, we believe that uh, all equipment, what you buy, is very expensive. You've got to look after it. The more you look after it, the more you're going to get from it. So you develop the products to, uh, to keep things going for as long as possible? Yeah. As, as, as I say, you look after your gear, it's going to look after you. Okay. Well, there's two areas I'd like to talk to you about. First of all, um, we'll come on to any new products uh, interesting to sort of the, the camping, cycling market in a minute. Uh, but the key thing I think most people are always a little bit sensitive about is actually how to apply seam grip or sill net depending on their fabrics. So could you perhaps share a couple of tips on, on how to get a neat job and where they should apply the adhesive? Yeah. Uh, basically we do two glues we've got sill net and we've got seam grip uh, the sill net is used on silicon based materials uh, there's no major you can't do a major repair on silicon based material it's, it's not going to happen what you can do you can seal your seams uh, even a new tent when it comes from the manufacturer the seams need sealing uh, and we recommend you just lay it flat apply the, uh, the sill net from the inside or the outside visually better from the inside and let it dry, and okay. then it's going to work. Okay, now I've done it a few times, and like most people, if you do it freehand, it can look a little bit messy, mm. like uh, like a slug that's been <laughs> drinking too much. Um, so what are the tips for making a really, really neat job first time round? You lay your tent on a, presumably on a warm day rather than a cold day, because it obviously cures better and quicker. Um, lay the tent what, down outside on the grass or in the table in the kitchen, or what? Uh, I would do it inside if it's possible, maybe in the garage on, on the kitchen, or, uh, on the, in the kitchen on the table, something like this. Uh, basically when it's windy outside you only get dirt going into it, dust going into it uh, and to do a nice neat job, use tape normal cellar tape is good enough uh, either you can lay the tape on both sides I would recommend you go out about 5-6mm to six millimeters from the seam and just apply it and wait until it's tack dry and then take the tape off Okay. Now, is there any way of, of thinning the adhesive at all? Because obviously it comes out the tube quite thick, and, and um, from experience I've used little brushes and they've gone very hard very quickly. Is there a way of doing that? Uh, Sill net, there's absolutely no way of thinning it. What, okay. you, can, what you can do, uh, you can warm it, which, which will uh, make it more fluid. Either in your hands, uh, hold it in your hands for a, a few minutes, operate into a, a cup of warm water. That will do the job later on the radiator. That will do a job, and that will give you a more flow. Okay, so warm it up to yeah. body temperature, a bit yeah. warmer. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. That's useful to know. So uh, you apply the tape, uh, apply the adhesive, and then you say when it's finger tack, finger t- sticky. When, it, when it's tack dry, yeah. Yeah, tack dry, you pull it off. And then, pull the tape. Uh, a tip there with pulling the tape off, and pull the tape to the direction of the glue. Okay, okay. Oh, not away from the glue, towards yeah, the glue. Yeah, because then you get this little tiny fe- uh, feathers coming out. Ah, okay, yeah. okay. And then how long do you leave it to dry? Uh, depending on the conditions, uh, I would recommend a good 12 hours. Okay. Yeah. So 
looking at, uh, you know, tents are all different shapes and sizes. And if you had a perfect square, which nobody does, then obviously it probably wouldn't be too difficult. But well, allowing for all the curves and the diagonals and, and the seams and the, and the uh, zips and so on, would you advise people to actually not try and do it all in one go? Yes, I would definitely, yeah. Uh, lay an area down flat, do what's flat, and when that's dry, carry on. Okay, okay. So let's go on to seam grip then. Now, how does that differ from silnet? Uh, seam grip is, is completely different. We use it in all of the materials out of silicon based. Uh, it's absolutely amazing glue. Very, very flexible, takes temperatures up and down, no problem. Uh, once it's on there, it's never going to come off. The material around it's going to de- degrade, and that glue's still going to be there. It's, it's one of the best. Excellent. Well, I think that one's fairly self-explanatory. I think it's definitely the Silnet people were uh, interested in. Now, uh, obviously, Tenacious Tape has come on the market as well. So what material does that work with, and where do you see that working? Uh, Again, uh, Tenacious Tape will will adhere to nearly any material, but it's not going to stick on silicon-based. It's a very, very good material. Uh, it, It comes in a strip of 50 centimetres. We've also got patches. And we just brought a new product out for repairing mosquito nets, but we can talk about that in a minute. No, well, actually, let's go on to that, because yeah. the, the patches, um, just briefly, you would use that for ground sheets, um, PU-coated materials for mm. tarps, but you wouldn't use it on silicon nylon. But you wouldn't use tenacious tape, presumably, on a Gore-Tex or an event jacket. Uh, you can do it. It's quite possible to use it. You can apply it. It's going to stay there. And you can actually take it off, and it's going to leave no residue until you actually do a full repair. So it would work as a temporary repair. Yes. But yes. you've actually got a product for breathable. We, we have. We've got Gore-Tex, which is a, a Gore-Tex product, which is obviously better. Yeah. Okay. No? Uh, so let's have a look at the um, fixing kit then for, uh, for bug netting, for mozzie nets. So this is when people obviously have pulled a tear or put a hole accidentally or something's happened and, and there's a hole in their, their netting. Uh, so just describe the size of it and how to apply it. Yeah. Uh, very, very simple, simple uh, thing. Lovely. Uh, I go fishing a lot. I've got mosquito on nets and there's nothing worse than when something's buzzing across your ear. Mm. Uh, so what we've got in the kit, you've got a tenacious ring. Uh, the ring is roughly around about 7 centimetres. And then inside that you've also got two uh, mosquito circles, cutting circles. Yeah. And what you do, you take the backing off the ring, lay the circle on it, and apply that to the hole and the job's finished. Job done. Simple Job done. So, you do. so the kit consists of two rings, two adhesive rings, and two uh, fine uh, mozzie netting circles. Yeah. Uh, and it's literally simply a two-operation, isn't yeah. it? You just peel it off, stick the uh, mozzie material to the ring, and then apply the ring to the hole. Correct, yeah. It's basically a minute job. Lovely, lovely. And I know there's a lot of people that would be uh, keen to have that in their repair kit. So really, you cover most bases, don't you? You cover... Uh, I mean, a small pack of this, a small pack of some of the other uh, emergency, because uh, you do the small tubes of, of silnet and yes. seam grip, uh, and people are pretty well covered for most repair jobs, whether they're cycling or hiking or fishing. Yes, yeah, as I say, we're into many markets. Uh, we've got another product, Aquashua, very, very similar to seam grip. Uh, it's a little bit thicker. Uh, many, many uses. It's used for the base of a rucksack, for example, when it's going to abraze and things like that. Uh, we've got free sole for all repairs to shoes. If your sole's hanging off, if, if your panelling's coming off, if your stitching's going, free sole. Yeah, we've got a big range. It's, take a look on the internet. The Outdoor Station, the UK's only award-winning audio and video podcast service for the great outdoors. Arm packs have appeared over the years on the UK market, but never really made a great impression with large sales. 
although those who use them have always vouched for their excellent functionality. For those people who aren't aware of the Arn brand or their features, they're basically a split pack, where you carry less on your back and share the balance of the load with front packs, which are attached to the shoulder and hip harness. It's an unusual arrangement, however they're very popular in Australia and the designer's home country of New Zealand, providing an excellent way to carry weight in the form of a large volume of water, which they obviously sometimes need to do in their environment. So once again, it looks like Arne is heading towards the UK shores. Arne packs, we've seen them before. I have to say I'm a cynic, I've never been completely convinced but I'm prepared to be won over by your charm and technical knowledge. Thanks, Bob. So have you used one? <laughs> no, I haven't. Ah. I haven't. There you go. So people eating possum. Um, <laughs> Arn packs are designed by Arn Tate, who's based in Christchurch in New Zealand, and he is a passionate outdoors person, and uh, he uses, uses and designs the packs. He has a number of unique core features which are across the whole range whether it be the marathon ultralight packs or the larger carrying capacity packs Uh, these include a system called the u-flow system where the shoulder straps as i'm demonstrating here glide underneath the base of the pack as you walk which is a patented system that reduces dramatically the amount of load on the shoulders and means you can wear lighter weight shell garments because you don't get abrasion issues that you do with other packs So because that moves with you. Uh, the other patented feature is optional uh, what we call balance pockets and the balance pockets have a frame in the, the front, two separate pockets which sits onto the hip belt and transfers load on the front to the hips. Okay, well, if I can just stop you there for people that perhaps aren't aware of the ARM brand and the ARM name and, and um, certainly have seen any pictures before, we're talking about um, front pockets. Can I, if I'm, correct me when I, if I've used the wrong terminology, but front pockets that are attached to the shoulder harness and the weight is carried on the hip belt, just so people can visualise what you're describing. Uh, and now if you want to return back to your description. Right, that, that's correct. They, they attach to the shoulder straps. They slide up and down the shoulder straps so there's no pull-down load on the shoulder straps and they have a built-in frame and that transfers the load to the hips. Arn's principles are based on biomechanics and the biomechanics of load carrying suggest that if you can equalise the load front and back, you get a much better carrying experience because uh, obviously if you put 20 kilos of, of weight or whatever on your back you get a fulcrum effect and if you can counterbalance by 15 and 5 you are, you are reducing the amount of fatigue. So he does a range from uh, 20 litres up to almost 80 litres. Uh, in the lightest range uh, he does some packs specifically targeted at marathon and ultralight um, hiking. Uh, the Marathon Magic 22 was developed in conjunction with Marcel Hagener, a triathlete of note in uh, in Europe and New Zealand and uh, it's a very clean looking pack incorporates the, uh, the, the, the the U-flow shoulder strap system and also a, uh, a V-flow system at the top um, all the packs have back length adjustment which is quite uncommon in smaller packs 
this is very easy to adjust as I'm demonstrating to you Bob okay yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. which allows you whilst you whilst the pack is in use or as a retailer while you're fitting the pack to actually set the back length exactly to the the torso of the person okay um, let's let's try and find a, a pack that specifically would be of interest to perhaps one of our regular listeners somebody doing um, in uh, the marathon de sable is a, is a typical mm-hmm. uh, popular race where people would start to look at really specialized stuff uh, and possibly somebody who is doing a few hundred miles wild camping shall we say in scotland or europe or, or, or so on so generally they're looking for around 50 60 liter pack not particularly heavy um, what have you got that uses this uh, front um, package system okay. that you describe the Featherlight Freedom, which okay. is a, a popular choice in Australia, where I'm from. Okay. So, it, it has a uh, it C- in c- capacity first of all. Uh, in a, in a, in a long back length, which suits most males, it's 55 liters for the the the, the main pack, mm-hmm. and then six and six or 12 liters for the front pockets, which are included. So, 62 or uh, 57 for the shorter back length. So, okay. all the models are my apart from the marathons, come in individual back lengths. Uh, this pack totally weighs uh, around about 1.8 kilos, which includes the balance pockets, includes the dry liners in the balance pockets, and the dry liner in the main bag. Uh, I, I didn't touch on the waterproof liner before, so this is probably a good time to talk about it. Okay. Um, all the packs have a... Uh, patented waterproof seam sealed dry liner inside them uh, rather than putting a dry uh, a rain cover over the top the dry liner is actually waterproof like a normal dry sack okay. so on the top loading packs uh, you just roll it over and it becomes a, a dry bag okay so, this- so i can just add to that then so it's a velcro enclosure so the the top of the pack closes with velcro and then within that velcro enclosure there's a second attachment which is the the dry liner which, which is, is which is half velcroed itself that sits so the actual velcro closure closes both containers the waterproof um, dry liner and also the exterior yes. the, the exterior of the pack and then it's a roll top pack so obviously it rolls down uh, uh, to uh, suit the size of the items inside, and I presume the attachment is uh, is down the side yep. to uh, to bring it down taut. And on the other top loading lidded packs, that's yeah. the same system, but just folding on itself. Okay, okay. So now, I mean, just explain to me the 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 front carry system because the the cynic in me, uh, when I've looked at these packs. Uh, considers okay well typical weather like we've got here in fact rain and overcast I'm wearing my waterproof I've just spent four or five hundred pounds on a really top quality waterproof Um, obviously I'm carrying something on my back which is preventing breathability and my concern would be the carrying 12 litres on the front uh, would also reduce down the uh, the breathability of the jacket uh, and also, uh, you know, abrasion. Abrasion, that's my concern. So I see you're adjusting the pack now and you've got to put this on and, and demonstrate where yes. everything touches. Or doesn't touch in the case of mine. Uh, yeah, that, that's yeah. an interesting proposition. Uh, it, from In Australia, where, where I'm based, I've not had that question asked ever. So it's, right. uh, it, it, it's obviously something that um, we haven't really had, uh, had raised with people. So here I'm putting it on. Um, I can uh, I can actually make it a little bit longer myself while it's on my back here. So he's actually adjusting the back length while the pack is on, which is I've never seen done before. That's normally you know, it's Put on it and off pull, while you adjust the back length. Okay. One thing uh, Arne has is a really well designed, what I would call an asymmetric hip belt. You can see it's not 
got two types of foam in it. So the the uh, the stiff foam goes on your hip, and the the sponge foam wraps around your hip. This allows uh, really good load transfer quite easily. And this is using the same system, is it, where the lower part of the shoulder harness slides through the bottom of the rucksack? Well, that's that's consistent across the entire range of packs. Okay. But one thing I have noticed on the uh, on the uh, um, hip belt itself, there's no pockets as such on the hip belts, no. is there? Intentionally not, because there's other systems on there. The pockets are on the front. Okay. You notice it's a four-to-one adjustment on the hip belt. Okay. So it allows you to get it really, really tight, really easily. Other brands, you would struggle getting the hip belt tight. And by getting the hip belt tight, you can transfer the load successfully. We generally, when we're fitting the balance pockets up, put them across like this. All right, so sort of... And then, as you can see, they're virtually not touching my breasts. Okay. Man boobs. Um, so there's a, there's a metal frame or something inside these front pockets? That's correct, uh, Bob. The, the metal frame uh, goes from the base of the balance pocket into a, in a socket all the way up on an angle, then across in a, in a, in a seven shape. It's pre-bent. Okay. And then that's how the load is transferred to the hips that the sits hips, yeah. into the socket there. And can this, I mean, for people with different chest sizes, as we all are, men and women, mm-hmm. um, can that be bent to, to suit their frame? It certainly can. You can, you can bend that around uh, any parts of the anatomy that may be intruding. And, and once there's load, they tend to fall out a little bit. I mean, you can obviously pull them back in. Um, as, a, as a person who uh, is dealing with the public as well as with uh, retailers, one of the frequently asked questions is, you know, will it get in the way, will it be uncomfortable and uh, once it's shown how to fit uh, people they don't really find that as an issue in my opinion Um, And what about the female user, because obviously their anatomy is slightly different it can be different in every one of them Again it can be bent around quite happily, you can see there's quite a lot, there's a couple of inches of air gap in there and once there is a bit of load, the load tends to hold it it out He has been developing and, and, and tweaking the design of the balance pockets for many years Again, we find with females because, like uh, Rose, if, if, if they can carry less load on their back, then yeah, yeah. It's, it's dramatically more comfortable for them. Um, well, I certainly hadn't realised that the weight was transferred to the hip belt. Yep. I'd always assumed the weight was pulling down on the shoulder Never harness, and I can, see the, I can see the science behind that. So, and I can put the, the, quite a lot of load. If you look, at, look below at the pack, you can see where the, the shoulder oh, yeah, straps yeah. are sliding underneath. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's great if you're using trekking poles. You get the movement there. The other thing I was going to show you, which is consistent across the range, is I talked about the asymmetric design of the hip belt. So uh, I'm pointing here where the hip belt wraps around your iliac crest, which mm. then allows a, a really really good attachment to your uh, to your hips. And then all the hip belts are able to be. Uh, adjusted both in in width and and pitch. Here I'm showing Bob how I can make the hip belt uh, two inches wide. Now this is a medium hip belt. You get an option of a small, medium or long hip belt. So uh, one uh, one design comes with the the opportunity to transfer the hip belt further out or or quite a a robust uh, person with a bit of weight, waist can, can do that. So here I've just demonstrated how to make the hip belt longer on these uh, on this particular model but that that same adjustment system 
is consistent across the whole range. And, I mean, it's the opposite end of the scales, really. It's tall people like me and short people like Rose that tend to always struggle with regards uh, getting a rucksack fitted. So how about, you know, particularly Rose's height, she's five foot four, slight build, short back, and we have a lot of young people, obviously, coming through. We want to encourage into the outdoors, and they're forever buying the wrong packs for them at the wrong size. Is the flexibility for this to get to get down to the extra small size? Absolutely. I, I have the short back length uh, there uh, stored out the back, and if you want to come back later on, I could actually fit it fully to rows and adjust it. As you can see there, I've there's about 10 centimetres of back length adjustment within each model. Uh, here I'm demonstrating how you slide it uh, down for a shorter back length and then uh, uh, up uh, for, uh, for a longer back length person. So someone like yourself would be at the, the longer setting. Okay. Um, and these, uh, obviously, Arne's a well-known name in, in New Zealand and Australasia, I guess. Um, how are you finding the, the interest growing if we're in the European market? Well, it is certainly growing. Um, we now have a distributor, and uh, we've di- this is our second year after a break of five years at uh, Outdoor. So we've, uh, we've signed up a number of retailers. It, it takes a while. Uh, because there are many established brands in uh, in Europe, but I think once people put a pack on and they realise the comfort and the load carrying ability, then I, I believe that they are converted. That was the first part in our three-part series recorded at the recent outdoor show in Friedrichshafen, with, of course, two more to follow. Thanks to all my guests for their time at Outdoor this year and time taken to talk to us. It was good to see the ebb and flow of the industry and try and spot a few trends as they weave their way onto the retail floor. Of course, if you're seeking more information, photos or video of some of the products mentioned here, then please visit the Outdoor Station website, where you will find various website links and information where I have it. Don't forget, there is an accompanying video, which is also on the website, as well as on the YouTube channel, where you might get a bit more flavour than words can describe for the event itself and some of the products we've been discussing, along with various comments. Now, please remember, there are literally hundreds of podcasts on the Outdoor Station website, in iTunes, as well as through the various RSS feed readers, all covering numerous aspects of self-powered travel. And there's almost 400 available, all, of course, free of charge. So plenty to keep your MP3 player topped up, and we will do our best to keep you entertained and informed as time goes by. So until next time, folks, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon, and bye for now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To hear or see more from our extensive free library, please visit theoutdoorstation.co.uk. Auf Wiedersehen und vielen Dank für den Besuch bei der Outdoor Show in Friedrichshafen.